This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast. I got a deal after three years one time, and they said, why would you mail to someone for three years? Well, A, they still had um, an out of, a property here, and they lived in California, 3,000 miles away. If you look at how much it cost me to do that, it was 50 cents a month for 36 months. It was $18, and I made $12,000. <laughs> And I didn't do anything but say, yep, send my postcards out. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What is up, everyone? This is Jonathan, host of the Millennial Millionaire Podcast. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. I am a 26-year-old creative strategy real estate investor. I live in New York, but I invest in other parts of the country, mainly the Southeast and the Midwest. Um, been doing it for about five years now. So um, don't know everything, but point of this podcast is just to jump on, spread my knowledge, anything I've learned, bumps and bruises along the way, and interview some really, really awesome people that I admire and look up to and share their stories. Today, we have an unbelievable guest. I mean, this is someone that I want to be when I grow up. Um, she is shrewd, gritty, determined, um, amazing growth mindset. I, I don't want to talk to her age specifically. She is um, she's a little older, but she has the mind and the spirit of a teenager, just she's using technology better than most millennials use technology. And I mean that in the best way possible. She's using Calendly, she's using software, she's using direct mail, she's going to networking events, she's using her phone, she's using virtual assistants. Like, amazing. I, I was so blown away by that. So everything that she talks about, it's all tangible and it's stuff that you can be doing at any stage in your career, at any point in your life. Uh, it kind of just removes all excuses. So really, really enjoyed that part of the show. I mean, this is probably one of my favorite episodes. I guess I, I should or shouldn't say that, but she, she really is awesome. So I'm going to be listening to this one a couple times after it's even out and recorded. I took so many notes throughout it, but just love her attitude on things. Uh, the two points that stood out to me amongst many were her exact plan for direct mail marketing. She understood that that was kind of her niche and she wanted to double down on that and use it to grow her business. Um, the second thing is how she actually used that direct mail and that skill set that she knew she had to develop relationships with partners, with end users, with buyers, with banks. She knew that she had the part that most people didn't have. So what she did with that was scale it to all different parts of real estate investors and now has developed it into an actual coaching program. And Trust me, guys, she's not doing it because she needs the money. She's financially free many times over, but now she just loves to help people. So uh, I'm actually probably going to enroll in the course just because I thought it was so interesting. And she talks about it so tangibly and simply. So uh, that's something that really stood out to me. Today's quick tip. This is a little different, but uh, it was on the list, so I have to share it. Uh, for anyone that rates and reviews this podcast with five stars, which uh, I don't just appreciate, but it actually just helps us get better guests. I always think about it when um, 
people say like hosts say like, Oh, it would mean the world to me. Well, like that's a nice thing, but really why I think that would be good for any of you guys that are listeners. Um, what's in it for you to leave a five-star review. I will jump on a coaching call with you. And two, it helps actually get better guests on the podcast that can shed more knowledge and take some of your questions. Some of you guys have been sending in some live questions or some Facebook questions, Instagram, and want to get those out to the guests. So, you know, I typically ask a similar pattern of questions, but lately I've been splicing in some new ones that people are sending in or asking to be asked. And it's just a good way to do that. So again, if anyone leaves a five-star review on any of the platforms um, and just screenshots that and send it to me, I will shout you out on the podcast and we can set up a call to walk through strategy, whatever you need help with, or maybe you're getting stuck on. So that's today's tip. Without any further ado, here is today's interview with Sharon Vornholt. All right, Sharon, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, just for talking about before we even hit record, um, it's amazing to have you on just based on not only your real estate experience, but how much podcast experience you have from not only conducting interviews, but being on so many interviews. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool to, uh, to hear and see and, uh, you know, look forward to digging into your story. So thanks okay. again for being on. Um, just from a high level, for those that uh, maybe haven't, uh, wherever they've been hiding under a rock, have not heard any of those uh, 200 episodes, do you mind giving a quick background on yourself and how you got into real estate? Sure. Um, I had another business. Uh, this is probably before you were born, which I opened in 1991. So it was a home inspection business. And in the course of that business, I met a lot of realtors who subsequently became friends. And one day, long around 1998, my realtor friend said, do you want to go to a RIA meeting? And I said, what's a RIA meeting? So I went to that. It was my first ever RIA meeting, and we had probably a good 300 plus people um, at the RIA. And from that time on uh, to this day forward, I've gone to pretty much every meeting unless I was out of town that entire time. But I began investing part-time, and I had a strategy. So my strategy was that I was going to do a, a rehab or two, and then um, buy a rental. And I, I went along like that. I call it limping along for some time. And that's, that's what I did though. And I, I had a very demanding full-time business. So in 2008 was when I decided to go into real, real estate full-time. So that's been, can't believe it's been 12 years ago, but it was, we all know what happened in 2008. So it was the best of times and the worst of times. So having come from and if you can believe at that time i had never in 10 years wholesaled a single house so i became an accidental wholesaler overnight i had a property that i knew was going to sit on the market forever i you know by the time i did the rehab and then nobody could remember nobody could get a retail loan back at that time so buyers couldn't get loans so i knew i was going to sit on it was going to sit on the market forever so i just called one of uh, the people in my group that was a rehabber and said, Hey, you want to buy this house? And he went, sure. Because he had a W2 job, you know, much like a lot of people. So he still had access to money. And what was intended to be like a short term thing just kind of ended up being a thing because I was really good at marketing. That was my strength. So sourcing deals for me was easy. And then I had a built in buyers list 
which by the way, only needs to be about five or six real real estate investors, Re combination of rehabbers and landlords. Okay, got it. That's um, great and very concise intro there. And I like that point that you don't need that many people on a buyer's list. Can you just, I, I would love to dig into that point more, but just for people that maybe aren't sure of the strategy or the structure, um, what were you doing when you were saying you were good at marketing? That was your mm -hmm. strength. So you were going out and finding deals or what was that process like at the time? It was direct mail. And it was, uh, so we were using direct mail in our other business because remember, this was all at the beginning of the, really the beginning of the internet. And so we were very much, uh, this was back in the day when you could actually walk into a real estate office and to put out flyers, which you almost can't get past the gatekeeper now, you know, because of a lot of reasons. But we would network, we were unique because we were women that owned a home inspection business. We made a lot of friends, but we did a lot of direct mail. So when I segued into real estate, it was a no brainer because it's still the number one way to get deals, off market deals, is direct mail. It works, is it, uh, you know, it's a, uh, the response rates have changed over time for sure. I remember when we got five, six, seven percent response. Today, nationally, it's maybe one percent. But for for niches like I kind of specialized in off-market deals, and the reason for that was I just don't like fighting over deals. It's just the simple part of it. You go on the MLS, and people say, "Well, direct mail is hard." You get all of these this competition. I'll go, "Well, well I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, so we've got." 3,000 plus realtors, I don't know the exact number anymore. So for every house that hits the MLS, that's your competition between investors and agents. If you send out a letter and you get 30, maybe 30 people are sending out a letter, you tell me, is that really competition? Because statistically 90% of those people are gonna quit on or before the third mailing. So direct mail is still very viable. It's kind of a, a kind of a, in one sense, a lazy way to do it because I'm just not a scrapper. I just don't want to. I just don't want to get in bidding. I don't want to get in bidding wars. I'm going to take the easy way out and just get deals. Love it. Okay, that makes total sense. So you start scaling. It sounds like you start doing some more direct mail, some marketing. You realize that maybe at that time you were getting five, six, seven percent hit rates. Mm -hmm. So at that time, what were you doing? Um, as far as like transactionally or what were you doing with those leads? How did you start scaling those leads? Like, can you walk me through the beginning of that process? What you started doing? Well, when I look back on it, Jonathan, it's really, you know, in the beginning, you don't know what you don't know. If the lead didn't meet my criteria, it was like, I just cringe now when I think of the leads that I should have turned into money, maybe wholesaling. <laughs> it's like, I don't even like to think about it, but I think people need to learn so they need to know, like, I made this giant mistake 20 years ago. If it didn't fit my little, my nice, neat criteria, then I just didn't pursue it. But leads were plentiful back then. So, um, but we did scale it. You know, we did in direct mail in-house for a long time. I had a person. So um, I would go, you know, we would print it in-house and then send it out. And bear in mind that, 15 years ago, it was $1.50 to do like a letter. Fast forward today, with postage doubling and all the other costs going up, you can, you can outsource a letter for a dollar. Once you subtract, and that's all in. So mm. once you subtract the postage from that, 
you literally cannot do it yourself as cheap as you can outsource it. And if you do postcards, which I recommend for everything, the probates, um, if you use oversized postcards, they're still under 50 cents all in. So you just can't go wrong. Got it. And what are some of those tools? It sounds like it's changed a lot, but mm-hmm. are, is it still the same, I guess, tools you're using to pull lists from back then as you are today? Is it different companies? Is it you were doing it yourself then and now it sounds like you're outsourcing it? Um, well, how do you recommend someone that's maybe looking to get started do it some, some way similar? Well, if you're going to, so um, at that time, we were able to get leads from list source for like eight cents a lead. Well, over the decade or so, they got smarter and they said, well, we're only going to give the really good prices to resellers. Like um, one of the companies I use is Open Letter Marketing. So they can actually still get your list for uh, those low prices. So it's actually cheaper for them to pull your list. You give them your criteria. Let's say you're going to do out-of-state absentee owners it's actually cheaper for them to get your list than it is for you to do it. Although I encourage people to go on to ListSource and play a or like company. ListSource is kind of the gold standard. Go on there, play around. Look at how the filters work. And when you put in, one thing I love about, um, about them is you can get that equity piece. So if you go on to something like ListSource and you choose an absentee owner list and they'll have a drop down menu you're not going to get that, that chance to choose equity in there. So if you go to create your own list, then as you go through the, the filters and the tabs at the top, it'll say, what equity are you looking for? And I'll say 50 to 100%, because if you're gonna buy a deal, even if you're starting out with a 70% formula, by the time you back out repairs, if you back out a wholesale fee, you're always going to be below 50%, always. So I like that because then you can, you can deselect, um, but the, the companies can do this for you. You can say, I don't want properties in, um, like me, I would choose Kentucky, Jefferson County, and I don't want these in these bad areas. So you can take out and remove if you've done any type of list things, you can do that. But also the companies, you can give them, uh, your mailhouse, you can give them your criteria and they can do the very same thing. So you have the ability to get very targeted and that's the thing about, um, about direct mail. You need to have a very targeted list. So there's, you know, you've got your, your mail piece, you've got your message on the mail piece, you've got your campaigns. So there's a lot of pieces to direct mail. Now, when it comes to probates, which is what I specialize in today, those lists have to be sourced legally. Uh, locally and there are over 3,300 counties in the U.S. and every single one of those counties is different so there's no like like, there's no list source for probates. Can you define for those that don't know what is a probate and why do you use why do you look to do those? I love probates because if you are familiar with how estates work and this is not people go oh this is this is creepy working around when somebody has died or whatever, but it's not that way. So if you understand the probate process, someone passes away. And at some point in time, especially if they have property, they're going to have to do this thing called open the estate. And when they open the estate, that might be a couple of months. It might be a year after that person has passed away. That's a signal to 
everyone that they're ready to move forward with settling with selling the property. So the way it works is they probate is a legal process whereby people creditors get paid and the heirs get what they inherit. And there's a, I'm making this really simplistic. There's a little more to it than that. But if the probate's open, then the, you either have a will or you don't have a will. If you have a will, there's an executor. So that person would have been named like they would have said, Jonathan, I, I trust you to administer my estate. So you'll be named in the will. If there's no will, then the court's going to appoint the next logical person. It might be a spouse or a child. You know, they have their rules for how that all happens. Then when that happens, then the next thing that has to ha happens is the assets have to be liquidated. And that's the point at which you can buy the property in the estate. Well, these people have to sell the house. Understand that they must sell it because they have to pay the creditors. Well, who are the creditors? They are the people that have the funeral expenses. They are the, if there's a mortgage, it's the mortgage. If they have a car payment, credit card payments, whatever their bills are, the creditors, so there will be a thing published called notice to creditors. And that will be their Hail Mary. If you want your money, here's your, here's the time to put in your claim. So all of these things have to happen. Now, now if you are the heir of an estate, you don't get what you're getting until they get to this point. So these sellers, A, they have to sell the house and B, they're very motivated. I mean, they, they're not going to inherit the money or whatever it is until they, until they sell the property. But the bottom, the thing that I love about probates the most is that they are, they, I've gotten more hugs at probate closings than any other kind of closings because they've been through what is undeniably one of the worst things in their life. They have the business of settling the estate to take care of, and you've just helped them to take care of all of it. I mean, you have just come in and saved the day for them. So I, I encourage people to think about probates differently. It is, and sadly, uh, a niche where you will never run out of leads. It's not affected by the market. No, no, none of this REOs are good, REOs are bad, pre-foreclosures are good, pre-foreclosures are bad. There will always be probates. That's really interesting. I haven't heard someone put it that way or explain it like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that makes total sense. And I don't know that that many people are doing it. I guess my next question was going to be, you kind of answered it. I'm curious if it's the same. was going to be, let's say, for someone getting started um, who's maybe done a couple of real estate deals and they were looking mm -hmm. to maybe um, you know, explore this area with marketing. Maybe they've only bought deals from the MLS or mm -hmm. haven't really done a marketing outreach campaign. Um, how would you recommend someone find a targeted list or how would you recommend someone find an area to really focus on for this type of marketing? For probates or for in general? Um, but both. Well, if you are doing one, another list that I love to work was out-of-state absentee owners. Now, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. So if you think about Kentucky is a small state compared to like California or Texas. What I found over the time, and I only targeted out-of-state absentee owners. And the reason was that I found that geographically, you have to be, people have to be about three, three and a half hours away from their property for it to be a big enough pain in the butt for them to want to sell it. So if you're in Texas, mm. let's say you put a pin in Texas and you would, you can actually get list companies to do radius searches. 
So they could like omit everything within three and a half hours and then you could go far away. For me, I marketed, we're on the border of Southern Indiana and I marketed to Indiana for a couple of years. Guess what? They can get here in a couple of hours. If they have a property in Louisville, they're not particularly motivated to sell it. So for me, I took out Kentucky and Indiana because obviously they're not out of state. Now people say today, well, I don't get a lot of deals off of those. And I said, that's true. It's a long runway. Today, it, with the response rates lower, it's true. But what I call that is marketing money. So let's just suppose for a minute, you're going to do direct mail. And you can only close two deals this year, two wholesale deals from out-of-state absentee owners. And you make $10,000 a house. So you make $20,000. That can pay for your marketing for a very long time. Is it worth it? Yeah, because what you're going to do is you're going to call up a mail house, you're going to upload your list, or they're going to get your list for you. Then you're going to put it on postcards, oversized postcards. Let's say you're mailing a thousand. Um, uh, so that's maybe five, a little less than $500 a month. They're doing the work for you. They're, that's all the materials, that's everything. So you put that on autopilot. And as soon as you get a deal, you put that money in the bank. That is not called upgrade my car money. It's not take a trip money. It's marketing money. Then your marketing worries are over because you can just literally put that on autopilot. So what if you yeah. only get a couple deals? I got a deal after three years one time. And they said, why would you mail to someone for three years? Well, A, they still had um, an auto, a property here. And they lived in California, 3,000 miles away. If you look at how much it cost me to do that, it was 50 cents a month for 36 months. It was $18 and I made $12,000. <laughs> and I didn't do anything but say, yep, send my postcards out. You have to think about this each niche differently. Now, probates are sourced locally. So that's the biggest challenge with probates. You have to do some detective work, and this is totally where most people quit. How do you get the leads? Well, the first thing you do is Google your city and then your county as a secondary thing, plus probate, and see if they're online. I had a student in Harris County, Texas. He said, I can't find the leads, and I said, well, let's Google them. Guess what? They're online. They're not online in Louisville, Kentucky, but they are mm. in the newspaper and other other ways to get them. But you have to figure that piece out. And like I said, most of your competition will quit. Right there, that's where they quit. Yep, such a good point. And that's, I, I think what you've done, is just to kind of think about it from a high level and sum it up, you've put such a good system in place and you have such a good strategy that for you now, um, one, you can fund it and anyone that's doing this can fund it with profits that they're doing. It's mm -hmm. not a huge either either cost. That, that's the funny thing about it. People, for whatever reason, I think a lot of times get stuck on what's my initial investment or what's mm -hmm. it going to cost me today? Well, if you get one deal out of it or one thing out of it, it's kind of like the way I think about books or courses. Mm -hmm. If you spend X amount of dollars and you learn one thing that could save you a mm -hmm. hundred times the cost of that thing, why not do it? And I think that's one of the biggest things that kind of separates people that can grow a business versus the ones that end up doing kind of a onesie twosie type deal mm -hmm. or don't really have a structure or a plan or a system. So um, that makes total sense. So 
Thank you for that. I, I guess just to, before we move off, I guess your actual, you know, start and your story, we kind of went into some tangible stuff there, which is awesome. Um, what started happening next in your business? I guess, where did you scale to? What were you doing? Were you wholesaling, flipping? What was your deal flow like, you know, the first couple of years? Well, uh, the first couple of years was slow, you know, because I, I was doing it part time. I would buy one house, two at the most at one time. And for me, managing more than one at that particular time, um, the home inspection business was intense in those days. And uh, it was still very much when all the legislation was being passed. There was uh, when I started, um, it was very much buyer beware years, totally different than it is today. So we had. Um, it was a very uh, intense business. So I was doing this part-time, um, which is why I went to off-market deals. It was something I could buy a list for out-of-state absentee owners. Uh, vacant properties now are online in most areas, or I'm sorry, code violations are online in most areas, completely free. You just have to search for the list and then you can go down you know, that list. But back then, so I went for 10 years and my, and I just always had something in the works. Now, once I went full time and was wholesaling, that was when I got uh, better able to do volume. But here's the thing. I made the decision early on. I was not, um, I didn't want to do a hundred, 200 deals a year. I wanted to do more, less deals, quality deals and have, um, my business was about lifestyle. So I think there's no right or wrong answer to this one. I think you have to decide what do you want your business to look like. If you are wholesaling or rehabbing, it's a job. And you have, in order for you not to have to do the job, you have to get people in place and systems in place, whatever that looks like. And I, what I've learned over doing more than 200 podcasts, a great many of them interviews, is that no two businesses look alike. And there's, that's the beauty of it. You don't have to have this exact model like you're gonna take out somebody's appendix. It's a model. This is the way you're gonna do it. Real estate isn't that way. But I think, um, I mean, I know successful investors doing a couple hundred deals a year, but they've got staff. I talked to somebody a couple of weeks ago that's got a coaching business and uh, a big wholesaling business. His payroll's a million dollars a year. Maybe that's your dream. It wasn't my dream after being in the, in the home inspection business 17 years. I call them people to feed. My goal when I went out the other direction was not to have people to feed. <laughs> that was my goal. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, I think it's whatever, whatever you want it to look like. I, that's the beauty. You yep. get to decide. Yep, 100%. So take take us through after the first couple of years, you've described a couple of times, you were kind of crawling a little bit, you were doing a deal here, a deal there, but you had mm -hmm. deals and you're working on them. Mm -hmm. um, did things change for you? I guess, let's say in the last couple of years, did you ramp? Did you get better systems? Like where did the business go or what did the business turn into? Yeah, and you know, I kept going and I bought, I bought a lot of houses over those 10 years, but not a lot by 200 houses a year standards. You know, I kept a steady flow of properties and, um, and I, uh, so I went along like that. I didn't really begin to scale things up until I went full time. So p there are people that do it successfully part time. 
but they work a lot of hours or they have a lot of help. Let's face it, you've only got so many hours in the day if you want to have a life. So um, I think you can totally do that, especially if you're full-time. But I will tell you, we talked a little bit before, most people that are successful today started, that I know started part-time. And there seems to be like a 10-year runway for a lot of people. I know a police officer, a undercover detective, 10 years. Another guy who's very successful today, as I said, drove a box truck for 10 years. Now, it might not be exactly 10 years, but there are, my advice to you is don't quit your day job because you won't be able to get a loan. You need that W-2 income to get a loan. But start to build private private money partners. That's probably the, the one thing that we didn't know about all those years ago. Funding, in times of crisis, funding gets hard. And if you, you need multiple ways to get deals in order to scale up. So oh, when I was scaling up, I used hard money once. You know, I had somebody that did loan me money. Mostly at that time, if you were breathing and you had a W-2 income, you could, get, you could get a loan. You could just walk into a small local portfolio lender bank. It won't be Wells Fargo or U.S. Bank. It'll be a local bank. You could just go in there and get a loan and never put any money down on the houses. It, if you were a good risk and you had a good deal and you brought them good numbers, that was really the way it worked. So it was basically the wild west of getting money back then. Wow. And were you keeping these deals at the time as rentals? Were you wholesaling them, flipping them? What was your business model? I was doing all of, all of that at one time, at one time. Wow. The, the mistake I made um, was in having mentors, I'll say this, having mentors that guided me to hold property in areas that were much more marginal than I knew they were. So they were okay until the recession hit to the real estate collapse in 2008. And then what I saw was those properties lost up to 50% of their value almost overnight. So that was not a fun time to be a landlord. The quality of tenants yeah. went down, um, which is what happens when in tough times. You, people lose their jobs. You have to take tenants you wouldn't have previously taken. There's just nothing good about being, being a landlord <laughs> like a time like 2008. But, um, you know, there's no doubt that owning rental property is a slow path to wealth. That is proven time and time again. But I would encourage people to go up a notch in properties, go into areas that are, even though they may be blue collar working neighborhoods, they are appreciating neighborhoods. Don't get in the marginal neighborhoods that are all hip and cool today, because if we have a, ever have a serious recession, guess what? They're going to be worth what they were in 2008. You, I saw houses that were, you could not get, 30,000, 40,000 for it. You know what a shotgun house is? The, the yeah. rooms all back. Uh, you can pay $200,000 for one of those in my area now because the area has been deemed hip and trendy. And, but in a real estate crash, it'll go right back to being the house nobody wa that nobody wants. Yeah, that's really good advice. Uh, it's funny. I was in, I was in Louisville uh, a couple weeks back. Oh. Um, and I'll have to, I'll be back again if these flight and travel restrictions ever stop, but I'll, uh, I'll come by and yeah, but that was my first, 
Um, I kept hearing about shotgun houses and you know, <laughs> price changes and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, these are what they are. So that was, that was pretty funny. Um, yeah. Well, it's, well, it's yeah, like so, you walk in the living room, then there's the bedroom and then there's the kitchen and then there's, they're like straight back houses. They were the most undesirable house on the planet. And suddenly you're going, you want 200,000 for what? It's like, no. That's so funny. Yeah, you're right. I mean, even in some of the areas, um, Germantown or some Germantown, of exactly. Germantown. Redeveloping. Mm -hmm. So many of them. That's mm -hmm. wow. That's so funny. Um, okay. Wow. So that, that's really interesting. <laughs> I think that I would say a great um, kind of recap of your intro, how you got started, how you ramped. You talked about a ton of tangible stuff kind of at the beginning and how starting out. Um, so I guess just to segue into current, um, what are you doing today? What's your current business look like? Well, I have uh, someone that I funnel my leads over to uh, today. I, you know, after being in this business 22 years, um, I, I really have a passion for teaching. So it all started with blogging. So I've had my blog since 2010. Um, once again, we absolutely had no clue what we were doing back then. So I would encourage people, just say yes. Just say yes to opportunities. Uh, figure, figure it out as you go along. So... Um, Today, um, my main focus is on uh, teaching others how to do this business. That's, that's where my joy comes from uh, today. While I still do deals, I still get leads. It's not, my, it's not my main focus today. So through the blog, the podcast, and uh, course, my course and other things that I have, um, I, love, I love teaching other people how to, how to do things like probates. Awesome. Okay. And we'll post all that. I, I wasn't sure if you were still doing a lot of deals or I know you were getting into the teaching and I saw that um, mm -hmm. before, but yeah, you have enough. Um, I would say like, like just such good tactical, tangible experience that um, anyone could learn so much from. And it's an area that you hear constantly, you know, there's the people I think on bigger pockets or podcasts or whatever you hear, you know, the one challenge that, most of them have, you know, if you have cracked it, I'd put you in that bucket, but that most of them have episode after episode is finding deals. Mm -hmm. So if you can be the person that holds that ability, you kind of hold the keys to the kingdom. You are the one that has what everyone is looking for and you can either wholesale them, flip them, sell them, partner with people. Mm -hmm. You know, you have so much opportunity and you can actually do something. It's kind of like, you know, I hear people and you probably see it all the time where, you know, okay, I got to build my website. I got to build my mailer list. I got to do this. You got to find the deal. Mm -hmm. You need to actually have a strategy to get either the phone ringing or deals to analyze. You can't analyze something that doesn't exist. So, I, tell, I mean, yeah, you I, probably see that constantly. I tell people that all the time. Well, I have to learn. I have to get my LLC. And I go, no, you don't. If you're, <laughs> if you're going to have rental property, then you need to talk to somebody about how do I, and especially if you're going to do flips then you need to be very clear on separating that out. But you today, when you haven't done a deal, you don't need an LLC. You, you need to know the one skill that you need, you nailed it, is marketing. Because none of the rest of it matters if you don't know marketing. So I have just taught this for such a long time. You, you need three to five ways to get deals, ideally. And um, over on my blog, I have a template that I use with my private coaching clients. It's called the Quick Start Marketing Plan. And it's a template. You can download it completely free and go in there and um, 
decide on your marketing strategies. That's your number one decision. How am I going to get deals? Now, you're either going to have to spend your time or your money or a combination of both. So if you are short on money, you've got a job, you don't have a lot of money to spend on marketing, then you can... I think everybody should have direct mail on their marketing thing. But today that might not be possible. You may start with free strategies or kind of free, like driving for dollars. You can call expired listings. You can call FISBOs. You can do things that, that take your time. If you have a job and you're making good money, then I would say if you if you don't have time but you have money, go straight for direct mail. Get a website up. Go for direct mail. Mm -hmm. And number three should be networking. Networking is probably the most underutilized form of marketing on the planet. So I know someone in California that is probably, when I interviewed her a couple of years ago, she'd done more than 100 deals, never spent a dime on marketing. She was a master networker. Today, wow. you, can, you can probably look at her site. She's probably done close to 200. Um, she is wow. really good at it, but networking, um, you know, in real estate, they, they always say it's, it's who, you know, it's actually who knows you. If you're in your real estate group and one of the best ways mm. to get known in your real estate group is volunteer, sit at the door and check people in. They'll give you a name tag and in a year, every person in that group will know your name. So if you have done your networking along the way and you've told them, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for deals and I buy here because I knew where every one of my buyers, I know where they buy. I know where they don't buy. So when I get a house today, I know exactly who I'm going to call. It's really, really is that simple. You only need five or six people. So, um, but volunteer and get volunteer at your RIA meeting at your meetups, wherever you go to talk real estate so that people know who you are. That's the key. And don't be like me. Uh, you'd probably never know this, but I'm a fully recovered introvert. I'm the person who used to go in the door and look for a chair 20 years ago. Like where's the, where's the closest chair? And don't, don't be like that. You think of, you don't have to go meet a hundred people, but think of meeting two or three people and really have a meaningful conversation with them. Um, you know, mm. ask them, what do, what do you do? Don't say, Hey, I'm, Sharon and I do this. Say, hey, I'm Sharon. What do you do? That's how you do it. And then, then they'll just talk. So even if you're an introvert, that's your opening line. It's, uh, it works every time. That is so good. I want everyone listening to this right now to go back and re-listen to that last minute because there are so many people that you just crossed off. Sharon, I don't know if you know it, about 10 excuses that mm -hmm. I hear constantly. I'm an introvert. I don't know how to start. I don't have a website. I don't have this. I don't have a deal. You just check them off methodically and mm -hmm. you explained how to do it and how to overcome mm -hmm. it. So it's just mm -hmm. right there. There's no excuse. Those are the, the problems. And then those are the ways that you can come around it. It's great. You know, and, and I will say to people, you've got to come out of your comfort zone. So this is true too. I was the person that was 20 plus years ago was so terrified to get up and speak that my daughter who had just come out of college did all of our presentations. I mean, that's, that's an absolute true story. And I mm. marvel at the fact that I go places like I go up to Chicago a couple of times a year 
and I walk up there and there are 400 people in the room and it's just like having a conversation with you. But how that happened is I made myself come out of my comfort zone. And the, the whole thing about being really introverted, true story. I mean, completely true. And I tell people when they want to talk about, they don't know how to approach probates. Well, here's my tip for you there. So you have talked to them on the phone. They want you to come look at the house. You go in and you introduce yourself and you know who has passed away. It's their mom or their dad. There's likely things in the house. And as you walk into the house and you see the golf clubs in the corner, you simply say, oh, was your dad the golfer? Oh, your mom, she liked to collect things. Was your mom the cook when you see cookbooks? And then that opens the door because they have this need to talk about their person that they love that's gone. And you have just solidified yourself as their person. They can talk to you. And from there, mm -hmm. you'll eventually get to the point of show me around the house and tell me, you know, what would you fix in the house if you were going to live here? Because if you say, how's the furnace? Oh, it's good. They work fine for my mom. But if you say, tell me what you would fix in the house if you were going to move in here. Oh, the furnace, it's really old, you know, or man, these hardwood floors, I couldn't live with these. So it directs the conversation mm. in a whole different way. And even introverts can pull off these four or five things you say. Uh, trust me, you can do it. Love it. And I think about it so often, especially people in sales or people that I talk to, again, where they get stuck. If you have a system and a general mm -hmm. idea of what you're going to say and simplify mm -hmm. it beforehand and it becomes second nature, you don't have to think. It relieves all that pressure and stress of how do I freewheel or how do I come up with stuff on the spot? You don't have mm -hmm. to. You just well, need a formula and a system and you just rinse and repeat. These are people. All you need to do is have a conversation. I tell people, don't think of it as you're going there to, you're not going there to sell them on you or talk them out of their house. You're simply there to, we're in the problem solving business. So when you go there, you are there to learn what their problem is and how you can help solve their problem. And if you truly, if you can make this mind shift of one of set from sales to merely having a conversation, it changes everything. It changes your ability to walk in the house with ease, to be able to start a conversation. Um, and then just, especially with probates, people have this need to talk. They wanna talk about it. And it's like I said, it's not, it's not creepy. It's not something you should avoid. It's a golden opportunity because they have to sell the house. And, and you go in there and you, you do this right. And I mean, in the first 20, 30 seconds, you're in the house. The rest is just cake. I mean, you're just there to say, how can I solve your problem? And it might be something mm -hmm. as simple as saying, aside from getting the price you want from the house, what else do you need to move forward with this deal? Well, 90% of the time, they're going to say, I don't know what to do with all this stuff in the house. And what you're going to say is I can totally take care of that for you. You take what you want and then we'll take care of the rest. Would that work for you? Sure. It would work for me. Such a good tip. And that's going past, I think one, the, the, the obvious thing that people want to get out of a situation, but mm -hmm. I also hear you address something else that I hear a lot of times people say, you know, why would someone want to list this 
with me or have me buy it or sell it instead mm -hmm. of a broker. Well, you could probably talk to this the entire day, but all the reasons, that's one right there. A broker comes in, they may, one, not be empathetic to the situation and start talking like, wow, I can't believe you have all this stuff here. The place looks like, you know, not so great and this and that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not what they want to hear, especially after they're going through a hard time. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like what you're doing and especially your talk track and you're being empathetic and consultative and helping someone solve a problem is you're not you're not doing that at all. You're really just there to fix a problem and help mm -hmm. make things lighter for them instead mm -hmm. of this daunting, heavy task that they just got stuck with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and and like I said, they have to deal with the business of settling the estate. They're going to have to file a federal tax return for the estate. They have jobs that they have to do. They they have an, a legal obligation to do certain things. So if you can take that weight off of them, and here, another thing that I hear from people is, well, I've got to clean the house up a bit before I can have anybody in. I say, look, no, you don't. We all know elderly people. A lot of them came from the depression. Um, it's I go in houses where they have 800 butter tubs, you know, or whatever. They might need them. Said it's perfectly fine. I'm sure your house is not anywhere near the the most uh, um, the house that has the most stuff in it. And they'll go, okay, but if you go there, they start apologizing. I'm so sorry. It's like, I let my mom live this way. And what you can say to them is, hey, look, this is this is just a thing people do. It has it's no reflection on you. We both know you couldn't change your mom or your dad. You know, he's got 10 years of National Geographic. That's okay. We'll take care of those. We'll get them out for you. Don't be worried about that. We're only here to see about the house and wouldn't it be great if we could fix this house? If, if someone fixes this house up to where it's just absolutely beautiful, wouldn't that make your mom or your dad proud or your uncle or whatever it is? So you just, it, and it is really why we're there. We're there to solve that problem. And they, very often, these are children that grew up in the home. So they are, they're looking at Christmas has passed. You know, my, I had my first child was played in this house you know it's all this mix of memories and so if you can just get them past that and take care of the business and help them i, I wasn't kidding when i said i've gotten more hugs at probate closings that is the absolute mm. truth they are so grateful you've gotten them out of that mess that's it's just mutual alignment of interest and it's mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. so non-salesy and so mm -hmm. helper when you think about it that way mm -hmm. and i think that also frees people up that they don't feel like they have to be someone else to be this slick salesperson you're yeah. literally just there to see if you have alignment of interest you can help mm -hmm. them with a problem they're having and if you do it the right way and you just be a good person mm -hmm. you probably will one be able to help this person and two be able to actually grow your business and profit along the way mm -hmm. so i mean it's mutually beneficial and it's not slick or salesy. I think people need to hear that to understand mm -hmm. and kind of get some of that like weight off when they think of, I'm not a salesperson, I can't do this. Well, you're showing people right now, you don't have to be a salesperson. You don't need to be this extroverted, you know, door knocking, you know, chest out type person. You can be someone that's very empathetic and very caring to someone's situation and help them just problem solve. And that, that works really, we talked about probate so that works in any niche. If you are dealing with an out-of-state absentee owner, they, they have a problem. They have a house that's somewhere that they're not, and they've got all kinds of problems. And often they say, 
do I have to come back for the closing? Well, no, as a matter of fact, you don't. It can all be done, you know, by UPS and you go to go sign in front of a notary. It, it really is at the end of the day, if you can solve their problems and not be salesy. See, they're turned off by salesy and slick and I need you to sign right now. I, I just was never that person. And I'm sure I'm, I might have missed deals, but I'm, I'm just not that person. So I would always say, how about if I, I don't want, I could make you an offer, but I'd like to make you a smart offer. How about if I go home and put the numbers together and call you back tonight? Is that, is that okay with you? So there's just the way I conducted my business. And I think it's why I'm still here after 20 years. I think this, did I probably lose deals not trying to pressure someone? Yes, but that wasn't the deal that I wanted. It's not, it's never the way to do business. Yeah, 100%. Um, phenomenal information. Uh, just, you've done a great job of simplifying this process and kind of explaining, you know, your your mentality, but also your tactics and strategies. So um, if we can, and just for the sake of your time, also would love to uh, kind of move to the part of the show where we just talk about um, just kind of the wind down, tangible, kind of rapid fire, some quick um, tips or just tangible okay. stuff. So just kind of segueing off, that there um the first one that just came to mind was um i think a lot of people leave these properties or they may be able to get a lead and then have a conversation and then they think oh well now how do i know what price to offer so are there any tools or people or tactics you use to get a quick view of once you have a lead or a probate come in that you can figure out right then and there what number offer you're going to make well I, well, I start with the tax assessor site. I look at the <clears throat> tax value, which is very often not right. Then I look at what properties are selling for in that area. And I never take the top. If you see, for instance, the, all, most of the houses are selling for $100,000. We'll just use easy numbers. But there's one over here that sold for 130. And then there's some over here that sold for 30 that or 40 that were obviously investor deals. I throw away the 130, throw away the outlier comp because all your rehabbers and your landlords are going to throw that one away. But in the beginning, I have to tell you, I, there's just no shortcut to learning how much stuff costs. I spent a lot of time in Home Depot and learning how much, how much per running foot is it going to cost me to put, put uh, uh, a cabinets in, countertops in, you know, how much, if I'm in a, more upscale house, which I don't do very often. How much is granite? You know, how much is siding? So once you get these figures and uh, uh, put them down, and there are tools you can use, like uh, there's a, a rehabvaluator.com has a tool that you can plug in your numbers for free. It's a free tool. Um, but you can make a spreadsheet, whatever works for you. But trust me, you will get to the point. And, and I called Heba. He back people. Hey, this I've got a 1,800 square foot ranch with a gas forced air furnace. Give me a ballpark on that, and they would give me a price, and I would keep notes of all of that. Well, in time, and if you do this regularly, you're going to walk into a house and go, "Yep, that kitchen's five thousand dollars plus appliances." You will get to that point, but there is no magic button for getting there. You have to do the People talk about formulas. I think that's a kiss of death, personally. I think you need to know how much stuff costs. Yep, that makes 100% sense. Mm -hmm. And some of these things, 
can only be kind of learned and acquired through use and doing. So totally agree with you there. Um, okay, cool. Um, just curious, uh, we hear a lot of different approaches. We hear some people batching time or um, now whatever stage of business they're in. How do you currently plan your days and uh, your time and, and why do you do it that way? Well, I gotta tell you that is a work in progress. Um, I think people are always working on it. What I found personally was that I was going out and looking at houses 10 o'clock today, two o'clock tomorrow, uh, noon the next day, and I made a policy. So I had already started the blog and that, and I had certain things like marketing. I, I think marketing should be your first job of the day. Get it over with, get it done, whatever it is, uh, get it on the calendar and then move on. So that's that's my number one success tip is do your marketing first. But what I started doing is saying to people when they would want, they I would say, well, let's talk about, you know, what time works for you. And they'd say 10 in the morning, I'd say, gosh, I've got an appointment at that time. Would it work for you? Would it work for you if I came at one? And they would go, yeah, that's okay. So I started blocking off mornings. I call them marketing mornings. They were the time I did paperwork. Um, marketing, uh, the blog, stuff like that. And then I looked at property in the afternoon. Now, if somebody says, no, I go to work at two, I can only do it at 10, then I would say, okay, I'll, I'll change my other appointment. I'll be there at 10. But the, I have to tell you that didn't happen very often. So that's, that's uh, one thing. Now, another thing I'm doing now with is I'm in batching things. So you're a podcaster, it's majorly disruptive to a, a schedule if you have a, like a project done to do a podcast today and one tomorrow and one the next day. I'm talking from a standpoint of being productive in your business. So now I am really making an effort to batch. I don't know if you know who Amy Porterfield is. She's, uh, we call her the queen of the internet, amyporterfield.com. She is an online business uh, marketer very successful. She had a goal this past year to do $10 million in business. And sadly she fell short at 8.5. So hmm. she is the queen of batching and she batches her podcast. She does six at a time, six over two days. She said that it was wrecking her schedule because that's her, her form of communication. So I try to follow what some of these other people are doing, but I find that I work better in bigger blocks of time. So the whole 30 minutes, get up for 10, doesn't really work for me because then it takes me 20 minutes to get back into what I was doing. I like working for 90 minutes, two hours and knocking something out or a big portion of it and then taking a break. But I think you have to do what works for you. But I do think batching, however that looks, or time blocking, as it might be called, is something that is makes you more efficient. 100% and as I've done more of these I can totally relate to that it's something that I've started using myself and mm -hmm. the funny thing about the podcast is uh, it's made me more efficient with my time in all other areas of yes. life just because there is a process it's a simple process but you need to establish mm -hmm. the, the pre-recording the recording the post-recording and then what I found and this is another reason I caught it I kind of caught like a halo habit I've recommended people start it or content creating because you can replicate it in other parts of your life, batching mm -hmm. or follow up right. or automation helping. Mm -hmm. So very interesting. So um, mm -hmm. really, really good answer there. Um, so cool. 
how do you how do you uh, like to stay educated? What are your favorite ways to stay educated? Well, I will say this, Jonathan. I don't know a single high earner that doesn't have a coach, and I mean, people currently with eight figure businesses, they routinely have coaches. So mm. when they need to learn something, uh, they get a coach. They don't they don't go the free route and. and build, Make no mistake, we all start at the free line. We all start there. But very quickly, if you're going to grow your business, you have to have, uh, you can have mentors, which are usually free. But coaches, you're going to have to pay for your education. You're going to have to go to seminars. Um, even with, I just, before all this coronavirus stuff started, I went to PodFest, which is a podcaster seminar. Um, even though I've been doing this a long time, I'm always looking for tips. Uh, I work in the online coaching sphere. So I, I have a, uh, you work with people in that. If you're smart, you have a coach. You have somebody that you are actually paying money to. Even if it's a $49 a month membership that keeps you up to date on what's going. I'm not suggesting that everybody starts with the 10, 20, $30,000 uh, coach, although if you're in business long enough, you may not know it, but one day you will drop down that amount of money, the bigger amount. But you can't, you simply can't grow your business as fast as you and scale as you need to if you don't have coaches and invest in seminars and things like that. That's a great answer. I could not agree with that more. It kind of goes back to that investment portion we talked about before of mm -hmm. you need to understand that in a lot of cases, these are investments they are going to return back to you and they're paid for a reason and, and you don't know what it can do to your business and how much exponential growth can come from your business from that. So couldn't agree with that more and that's a great answer. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, on a day-to-day -day basis, are there any tools, applications, websites, softwares, anything you're using on a regular basis, like when you open your browser or your phone that help drive your business forward? Well, I use Trello a lot, which is a free app. I don't know if you've used that. Uh, some people use Asana. I, I, yeah. I like Trello. I'm a visual girl, so I like all the colors and the drop downs and the boards, and I can keep things organized. Even with it became, you were talking about batching, it gets to be kind of a nightmare over time if you're creating content, um, how to do that strategically. So um, I have, I keep a running list of ideas over there and blog posts. And um, I have a, a girl who, a VA who is just awesome that uh, I'm now working with on some parts of the podcast. And we use Trello uh, to keep the shows and then we move them over to completed when they're done. And uh, so I use that a lot. Now for marketing, uh, my number one tip for marketing is go to Office Depot and get a great big oversized wall calendar, one that you write on a big one, and one that you can flip over month to month. So when you're going back and you say, man, leads were really terrible in June, and you go back and look at what marketing did you do in June? Well, I kind of forgot to do marketing. I went on a vacation and had a lot of fun. And so uh, that is what I think the thing, the year I started using that in my home inspection business, and I'm talking about a physical calendar, my business doubled because wow. you put okay. on there, wow. you write down the day you're going to order your marketing. What's the day you're going to call? You're either going to do it or you're going to call. 
What are the days of your networking activities? What are the days you're going to commit to doing these things? And if you get toward the end of the month and you somehow life has gotten in the way as it does, then you make a deal with yourself that you're going to catch up before you flip the calendar. It is a great mental tool. Now, make no mistake, I, I still use Google Calendar. But for marketing, <laughs> it needs to be visual. It needs to be visual. And I'm a whiteboard person, too. If you want to grow your business, put your business in the middle and go, I want to do this, this, and this. Get up and look at it every day. And you'll look back in a year and magically, you will have accomplished most of those things. It's, it's just, it's a mind thing, mindset thing. Love that. Such a good answer. Um, you covered kind of the next question, which is as far as, you know, who helps you, but it's funny about the, the Trello comment. I'm actually um, testing out, uh, I was using Google Sheets for a while, which I still think has its purpose, but um, for the next like five weeks or so, each week I'm testing out a new project management mm -hmm. software. So this week is actually Trello. Trello. Um, mm -hmm. Next week, Asana. Mm -hmm. following week monday.com and i'm going to just try to do everything in one but i've heard some great things about that so that's uh and people say it's kind of like a visual whiteboard and i mm -hmm. i now understand that you can really just put everything up and see it through so um yeah really and, cool. and the fact that they have free versions and here is my gal in the philippines and we share a trello board you know i couldn't live without dropbox uh that's probably my favorite thing on the planet because she's mm. eight hours ahead of me. Well, I have two over there and we drop things that we have shared folders in Dropbox and we are able to communicate very effectively and uh, keep everything on track. You can, and for Trello, when I, uh, you can put due dates up there. You can do the same thing in Asana. Actually, it was a VA that helped me set up my podcast uh, all those years ago. They said, Sharon, we're, we're not doing email, we're doing Asana. And I go, okay. <laughs> What's the song? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Sharon, one thing that you have that stands out from so many of the people I interview um, or just talk to or network, you know, mm -hmm. why they succeed or don't succeed. I'm not sure if you've heard of the book Mindset. You have an amazing growth mindset. I mean, I don't, I, I hope you'll take this the right way, but, you know, I, I meet people of all ages that, can come up with an excuse why they can't learn something or do something. Mm -hmm. And you are constantly adapting, you're changing, you're using mm -hmm. software and technology. And it's so refreshing. It's just mm -hmm. awesome. And hearing that story there, you had a virtual assistant in the Philippines help mm -hmm. you set up a software mm -hmm. to now use other software to coordinate. It's just great. I really love it. Well, so, I think, cool. yeah, I think I'm a kind of like, I could be the person who could quit working and learn. So I have to, I have to balance that, but I'm excited to learn and I'm constantly learning new things and new, I'm, I'm not a tech person. I'm always learning new tech because even if you're going to give it to a VA, if something, if they get swept out by a tsunami and I actually had that happen once, um, they just went vanished after that. And, um, you have to be able to know how to go in and pick up the pieces. So I'm, I think one of the things investors do way too long, and I was the queen of this, is you hold on to things too long. You hold on to jobs. Your job should be to run the ship. It should not be to mop the ship. So that is a very hard mindset to get over. 
But there are awesome VAs in the Philippines that are very good at what they do for $6 an hour, uh, real estate VAs. Now you're gonna pay a lot more, like I needed a server guy. He definitely wasn't $6 an hour, but he was great. My VA, that um, one that I do higher level projects with, you know, she can, the way you need to look at it is if I can get rid of this low level job and go close one more deal, which thing would I rather be doing? You know, this over here, no, or mm -hmm. closing the deal. So true, so good. Just before we move on, curious, what service or how did you find those virtual assistants? Upwork, Upwork. Yeah. And I, one tip I have for Upwork is don't post a job on there saying, I need this person that can do this because suddenly everybody knows how to do this but they have great search capabilities. And if you go on there and look for real estate, uh, just put in the word real estate, they'll all come up. And they have, they're awesome for data scrubbing, list scrubbing, data entry. Um, they're great. Mm. Some of them are, Karen, some of them have advanced, yeah. some of them have advanced degrees. You can get someone with a master's degree for 10 bucks an hour or less. <laughs> I know it's amazing. I, used for the exact same purpose, Upwork and Freelancer mm -hmm. and data scrubbing and mm -hmm. uh, for the podcast also, it really wouldn't be able to do without it. But yeah. um, that is, it's so true what you can find on there that all these these different expertise levels and experience levels and it's, it's very reasonable and it can save you so much time that you mm -hmm. can then find that next deal or do that next deal. So um, awesome. So um, last couple questions here. What's, uh, what's next for you in 2020 and beyond? Well, I'm uh, working on growing, um, growing my online business with uh, courses, trying to figure out uh, my obvious next thing it will be something with marketing. It's about scalability. So I do classes, I've done in-person trainings, and I love doing, I love doing small group in-person trainings because I'm very hands-on. I like doing workshop type things where when they leave, they've got something, not they're gonna go home with a bunch of papers and they're never going to do it. So I, I like doing that, but I'm um, working on scaling that so that it's affordable for people. And um, because I know marketing, I know how, how to teach marketing. And so, because that is at its core, the most important piece of a real estate investing business. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm working on. And I'm always working on mm -hmm. myself, truthfully, um, trying to get better, trying to, get a grip on my time because I'm as guilty as the next guy. Um, it's easy to get distracted. Uh, we all have shiny object syndrome, but that's why we're entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Makes total sense. Um, what are some hobbies and uh, personal interests other than real estate? Other than work, my kids are always coming over going, you're working, <laughs> stop working. <laughs> Um, I like reading. I'm a beach lover. So I'm a, I'm a, in a different life. I was probably a beach bum. So I, I love the beach. I love, uh, I love things to do with, I love the pretty side of rehabbing. Although I mostly talk about that. Don't actually do that, but I love a friend who does beautiful mm. rehabs and I totally love looking at her site. Um, but, um, I was I would say reading and reading and the beach and stuff like that. I can't believe you stayed in Louisville all these years being a beach lover. I was born in the wrong state, I'm telling you. I was 
I have a grandchild here, a sing, singular grandchild. And uh, so I'm probably not going anywhere unless she somehow comes with me. Okay, got it. Great. Um, where can people learn more about you, your course, um, your content, your podcast, all that? Well, I've, I've, everything is centrally located. And when I said we knew absolutely nothing about what we were doing, then that's true, especially naming things. So Louisville Gals Real Estate Blog. Uh, the blog has a, you can link off to the podcast there. It's obviously it's on iTunes. Um, you can search over there. And the course, there's a link to the course over there, but it's probateinvestingsimplified.com where I um after 10 years of figuring it out the hard way, I show people the shortcut to what is, I believe, the most profitable niche on the planet, probates, where you'll never, mm. never run out of leads. Okay, that's compelling. That's I'm compelling. excited. Like, I was even taking notes on this. Just I, I want to dig into this myself. Well, so, and as, uh, as, as a bonus compelling. in the course, I give people two sets of letters because realtors, I'm beginning to get more and more realtors in the course, which is um, really awesome. I'm primarily investors, but realtors. So I have sets of uh, templates for letters for both realtors and investors. And I have a bonus direct mail module, which you can use for any kind of direct mail. It's the basics of here's how direct mail works. And uh, so that's one of the bonuses in the course. Okay, got it. Uh, last question. I guess this is the penultimate question, actually. There's one more after this. But um, you started in 2008. You kind of – I hear I hear a lot of different theories, people saying they wish they would have started bigger at the beginning, some people saying they needed to get their footing, cut their teeth a little bit. Um, any advice you would give to yourself at the beginning? Starting well, out. and I actually started in 1998 part-time, so 10 years part-time. I wish I had gone faster, but the reality of it was that at the time, there was a second business. It wasn't even like I had a job where I could leave. I, you know how you have a job and you go home. Uh, I had a second business, so, you know, I, I look back over it and think, things often turn out the way they're meant to turn out. I think a lot of it depends on your personality, your comfort zone. I do think you need to get started and lose the excuses. We've all got excuses and I'm, gosh, I mean, really and truly, your first, your first deal is by far the hardest one you'll ever buy. And I remember a realtor friend of mine saying, one day you'll buy a house sight unseen and I went, nope. This type A personality will never do that. Well, fast forward a couple of years and she calls me and says, listen, I've got this deal. They're getting a divorce. They're going to practically give you the house. How about we just put an inspection clause in there? And I said, okay. And then I'm going, did I actually just say that? I think I just bought a house and I never looked at it. But you will, you will change. Your comfort zone will change. Um, but just get started is the main thing. But yeah, I kind of wish I'd gone faster. Okay, got it. That's a great answer. Um, last question. A big, big goal of this show and our community's Facebook group is to make sure that anyone uh, who's looking to connect in the community or just real estate or business in general, they're, they're doing it in what we like to think of as kind of the right way. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, I'm sure you get these requests all the time, be my mentor or, you know, can I pick your brain? I'm sure there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but 
what we like to do, if possible, is try to find um, ways in the community for people to add value before they ask for value. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess just in your case, uh, is there anything you're working on um, right now or looking to promote or grow or a challenge that you're stuck on that maybe you just haven't had time to get around to that if someone reached out to try to bring you value, they could actually maybe help you or your business or, you know, help you with something um, and, and kind of deliver it that way. Is there anything right now that comes to mind that you're um, looking to either get out there or can use help with? We've heard all sorts of answers, but um, case by case. Not, not really at this time. Um, I would have had a different answer probably three or four months ago before I found my most recent awesome VA. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm I certainly open to ideas, but at this time, I'm, I honestly don't know of anything. That's my honest answer. Well, that's great. It sounds like you have a great system and, and a good team of people that can pick up the pieces um, and let you do what you do best and what you like to do. So um, that's great. So Sharon, with that, I'll just kind of close by saying um, this was without a doubt one of the most fun interviews. Your take is so refreshing <laughs> and your mindset is so refreshing. So Thank you for one coming on, but also thank you for uh, spreading the message. Um, I'd love to tie off of you offline on Louisville. Um, been doing a lot of networking there and like I said, visit the area, but um, thank you for just that and helping people in the community and educating. And I can just tell the way that you talk about your course and you know the content you put out that you're really doing good and you're helping people and help them get started. So um, just really want to say thank you for that. Um, before we wrap is, is there anything you want to say or just a final word for the uh, the listeners? Well, just come over to the blog. I've got over 800 pieces of content over there. So you can totally get started learning probates for free. Um, marketing. Uh, there's probably not too many topics we haven't covered over there between podcasts and blogs and videos. Uh, don't some of the, I, I ran into a friend in PodFest and he wrote a book called Start Ugly. That's the way we all start, but you just need to start. And uh, But come over there. There's a ton of free stuff over there, a ton of freebies. Mm, okay, great. Well, with that, we will uh, go ahead and, and uh, let you get out of here. Thank you again for jumping on. Um, best of luck in 2020 and best of luck uh, beyond. So thanks yeah. again. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been great fun.